Matthew chapter 8, Jesus had just been doing some great works. He, he, he cleansed, a, just in this chapter alone, he, he healed a leper. He, he, um, he healed a centurion's um, um, servant. And he, um, he healed a bunch of other people. It just says he healed many uh, who were oppressed by demons and, and were sick. And then he sat and told the disciples, uh, he explained to them and uh, some others that were around the cost of following him, um, that it was great and that it was total and complete. And then I'll start in verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him and behold, those, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? Praise the Lord. Even the winds and sea obey him. Not only, obviously they had seen lots of things that obeyed him. Spiritual things, for sure. But I want to cover this in greater detail as this year is just beginning because I submit to you that the sea inside of us is much more troublesome than the seas that we may ride upon in a boat or a ship. Although if you're in the middle of a hurricane on a boat I want you to know that Jesus has authority over the wind and the waves as well. But sometimes the sea inside of us can rage and, and roll and cause great destruction in our lives. And we need to know that Jesus is there to calm the sea inside of me and you. A great example of this follows right after where I just stopped reading in verse 28. And I'll just read. And when he came to the other side, so he calmed the sea and then they proceeded on and got to the other side to land. And so when he got to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon possessed men met him. Now, one of the gospels says it was one. It doesn't matter. They're not contradicting one another. It's just that one of the disciples only mentioned one of the, de the demon-possessed men because he's the one that was that this story was about, basically, okay? Two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? 
So this is the demons shouting out through these men because they recognize Jesus as the Son of God. And they said, have you come to torment us before the time? So they know that they have a time coming. But they also know that there are spiritual laws in place protecting them for a season. In the sense that they're entitled to be here. Doesn't the Bible say that the devil is in charge of this this world for a season? Our protection as born-again children of God from the raging sea that the devil has created through sin and corruption in this world is God in us. Amen? Amen. God with us. Emmanuel. Just coming out of the Christmas season. We're familiar with that name given to the Lord. And He is with us. And He's gone from being with us like He was with the disciples to being in us. And so the power to calm this raging sea, either without or within, is always at our disposal. Amen? And the... Now, let's see, where was I? Okay, verse 30. Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out... They knew what was about to happen. He was there for that man or those men to help them. And they knew it. If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. Now, why would they ask for that? Because they have no authority without a vessel. And even a pig has more authority than they do. They would rather be in a human being because we're the ones that are created in God's image. We can speak, we can create for them just like, because we're created beings just like our Father. And He created everything with His words and we can do the same for the devil if we agree with Him or are deceived enough by Him to let Him trick us into it. That's how these men ended up possessed. There was sin in some form or unbelief Ignorance of God and His ways, or it could have been passed on to them from sin from someone else. This is a fallen world, and sometimes bad things happen to good people because of sin in the world. And the demons begged Him, if He cast us out, send us into the pigs. And He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd of pigs rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave that region because they believed in different gods who are no gods at all. And they were using those pigs probably to sacrifice to to Baal um, in that region at the time. I think that's what was happening. And so Jesus was... Really being uh, kind of funny there. He took all their sacrifices and he showed them that those don't amount to nothing. And he causes, let those demons go into them and they all rush down and drown themselves. But you see, Jesus goes from calming the storm on the outside 
the next thing he does is calm the storm on the inside of these two demon-possessed men. And I think it's a beautiful thing. Jesus said that he has come that we might prosper. That we might live the abundant life that he has died to provide us with through the atonement. And it's the devil who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. God is pleased when we prosper. And I want to make sure, because we're going to be talking about God's prosperity. And the sea inside of us. And and walking in the beautiful things that we are entitled to through the atonement. And as part of our inheritance as children of God. And so we want to make sure that we understand that prosperity message is not just about money. Money is just one of the smallest aspects. Jesus taught about it first and he said, if you don't understand this, you're not going to understand any of my parables because it's all about seed, sowing and reaping. Everything in our care as stewards of God's grace is in seed form. Third John, way back in the back, short little epistles of John. It's one page letter. First, second, and third John. Right before Jude, then Revelation. Third John, verse two. Notice I don't say chapter because there's only one page. Third John, verse two. God says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. The King James says it like this, says that, Beloved, I pray that thou be in good health and prosper even as thy soul prospers. So there's a correlation between being physically healthy and emotionally and mentally healthy. Our soul is our personality, our mind, our will and emotions And there's a correlation that's tied together there. And so he wants us to be healthy and prosperous, if you will, in every way, in every area of our lives. And doesn't it just make sense, though, that God would would want us to be healthy, to be happy, to be filled with the love, joy, and peace? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all the fruit of the Spirit, to walk in these things in increasing measure. Why wouldn't He want us to do well? This God, who, as George was just describing from Isaiah 53, has gone to great lengths, at great cost, to give us His only begotten Son that He loved bankrupting heaven temporarily to give us this opportunity at salvation to come back into relationship with him and to become adopted children of God. So why wouldn't he do anything for our welfare? He's not uncaring regarding our sickness or our poverty or our strife. He loves us and he cares about even the smallest aspects of our lives. And he proves that to us over and over and over again for those of us who are mindful to pay attention to those things. Romans chapter 8. 
is a arguably the most powerful chapter in the Bible. Although it's all wonderful, so it's hard to say. But it's definitely up there. So let's take a look at Romans chapter 8 for a moment. I'm going to skip down for the sake of time. I encourage you to study that chapter this week. I'm going to go down to verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? He's talking about, he's asking a question because he's just laid out in links about life in the spirit. Now that we've come into this new life with Christ, with no condemnation and free of the law of sin and death and how we are heirs now with Jesus have the same rights and benefits as the natural born child himself. And then he discusses our future glory, which is something that's beyond any of our comprehension even at this time. But he says, now what shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? How comforting it once again. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things. Now, when you're reading these beautiful and holy scriptures, talking about you and your new identity and your new relationship with the Lord, there's some things that he's taking for granted. He's taking for granted that you're in agreement with him and in the sense that you want to live a holy life, a a life of love and peace and and doing the good things that he created you to. And that all things doesn't imply that he's going to give you something that's ungodly. Nobody would think that, but some people do. (laughs) Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justified. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He's up there interceding with God the Father on your behalf. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or Danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life, death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Going back to verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. I never forget that beautiful dream that I had that I wrote about in my book, where I was standing in that courtroom before the judge's bench 
And I knew I was there to be charged and accused. And I knew I was guilty. And then I looked to my right and there was the Lord Jesus standing there beside me. He was my advocate. He was my lawyer. And he was beautiful and majestic. And then I looked back and there's no one on the judge's bench. There's no one at the lawyer's tables. There's no jury. There's no one to accuse me. No one to condemn me. No one to convict me. Just like it's saying here. He was standing with me and he's saying, he's mine. Who's going to say anything? And there was no one there to say anything. And I knew that because of Jesus, I was free to go. I was guilty as could be, but free as a bird because of my Lord Jesus Christ standing there with me. No one to bring a charge against me because they dare not say anything against him. And I am his. Just like he, when he, when he came to Paul in that bright light on the road to Damascus, knock him off his horse, so to speak, and got his attention. He said, Paul, or Saul, he called him, why do you persecute me? Paul hadn't persecuted him. He was persecuting Christians. So what does that tell us? That Jesus takes us very personally. And when somebody does something to one of his. It's the same as doing it to him. So why would we choose to fight our own battles in the flesh. When you can just run to your Lord. And let him do the fighting for you. You know he takes it personally. He feels about you the same as he does about the Christians that Paul was persecuting. He's not a respecter of persons. In other words, he feels the same about all of his children. He loves us. Amen. I know my own wife, Tavana. It was a it was a great day for her when she discovered that she don't have to she don't have to argue with me anymore because the Lord has me, and when I get out of line. She didn't have to say anything. And the and quite frankly, it's 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 better for her and harder on me when she doesn't. Because the quicker the quicker uh, the, when she says less and just gets quiet and that and that gentle quiet spirit which is beautiful in the in the in the eyes of the Lord is is revealed. Oh my goodness, it's almost immediate. That the Lord convicts me and brings me back into uh, my right mind, as it were. And you know, the world would tell someone like that, that, oh yeah, you're falling for this nonsense. You know, you're just letting somebody walk on you. That's not true at all. Matter of fact, anyone that knows my wife knows that that's not going to happen for very long. But at the same time, she's just learned who she is in Christ and what she has in him. That's just a small example. But it's true. The Lord. Has. Pleasure. In prospering us. Psalm 35. 27 says that. I'm going to turn over there real quick. And see what the English standard version says here. Psalm 35. 27. 
is a familiar scripture. And it says, yeah, I have it underlined here and then part of it circled. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore. There's so, there's so much to say there just about how important it is that we voice our praise and our faith out loud. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore. There's a thankful and glad heart and, a, and someone who has the the strength and the courage to open their mouth and thank the Lord and to speak to Him and to praise Him is a wise person. Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of His servant. In the King James it says, He takes pleasure in prospering His servant. And that is really true. And so that's, that's what we're honing in on as we begin this new year to talk about what that means to a child of God. We need to open our hearts and our minds to the love and provision of the Lord regarding our prosperity. And when I say prosperity, I'm talking about every area of our life, spiritual, emotional, mental, physical, financial, there are huge portions of the body of Christ who do not believe these things that I'm talking about. And it's, they find themselves stuck in, a, in dead religion just because mama and them went here or went there and we've got a pew with our name on it, but it's just dead. There's nothing happening there. They don't believe that miracles are for today. They don't believe that any of the gifts of the Spirit are for today. They don't believe any of the things that we're talking about, about prospering us in every way that we're talking about. And because of that unbelief, it causes people to only believe God for eternal needs. Which is great, you know. Hey, if they... If as long as they uh, make it to heaven, that's fine. But I talk about it all the time. We read in Revelation where it talks about the Lord wiping every tear away from our eyes. And I'm convinced that some of those tears are going to be because we could have had all of the benefits of our salvation here in this life. And we neglected so much of it. Paul says or the writer of Hebrews, we don't know that it's Paul, says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And I think that's a powerful verse right there. But the truth is, he wants us to prosper, and he's already made provision for that. And because of that, I will always preach the full gospel. And... Because we preach and learn the full gospel, everything that we have in the Lord through the atonement, we're going to see in this church and in our lives, God's power and reality manifested in this life, in this year. Amen. Galatians 1.4 says that Jesus gave himself to deliver us from this present evil world. 
So why would we reject what he died to accomplish on our behalf? Not to deliver us, not to get us out of this present evil world, but to protect us, to deliver it from us, from, deliver us from it while we're in it. And that doesn't seem right, but everything in the kingdom of God is opposite. I would say a good analogy of that is the fact that we have the power of God, that same power that raised Christ from the dead living in us. And when that sea begins to rage inside of us, we have the ability to quiet the storm. Amen? That's getting out of this world even while we're in it. We're going to still go through the storms of life, but we don't have to let them get inside of us. We can walk in the peace and tranquility of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the joy of knowing Him, the hope of being with Him for all eternity, and the world doesn't have that. The world hates faith, it hates hope, and it hates love. And you say, well, they're claiming that, you know, because we're conservative or we're Christian and we believe the Bible, that we're not walking in love and that they're the ones that are accepting and loving. That's not true. They may say that, but it, you go get close to one and you, find, you go disagree with them. You go disagree with them and you try to tell them what you believe and who you believe and watch the fangs come out. Watch the venom and the vitriol. They really don't walk in love. And they hate you because you have love. Because without Jesus, there's no true love. Without God, there's no real faith. And without accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's no real hope. And whether they are savvy uh, to the, the Bible and the, the, the proper scriptural context, or if they just have an inner knowing, they know who God is. They know there is a God and that they're not Him. They can say whatever they want. But as they say, there are no atheists in foxholes. Somehow, when it comes down to it, we always find them calling out to God, calling out to Jesus. Psalm 35, 27 says, God is glorified when we let Him prosper us. Isn't that amazing? That He's glorified when we allow Him to work in our lives. So it pleases Him. Just like it said in 3 John 2, it pleases Him to see, for us to prosper. So people with a poverty mentality or a... Uh, uh, this need for atonement um, or need to pay uh, pay for their sins. You know, I think of the that movie, The Scarlet Letter, and and uh, how that preacher would 
whip himself, you know, and to punish himself and all that nonsense. But that's that's sort of how Christians think in many ways. And the truth is that he loves us. Jesus paid for everything regarding us, paid for our sins, past, present and future. The war is over between us and God. And now we can run boldly right into the throne room of of heaven that we may obtain mercy and find favor in the time of need. And Jesus said on that last faithful night, my favorite scripture, John 14, 27. He said, peace I give to you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. His peace is a real thing. There's one of the promises of God that we can stand on and claim and walk in. All the days of our life. And I want to encourage you that this this year, this new 2019, let's please God by allowing him to prosper us on another and higher level. Amen. I think that we have a problem receiving from God more than we have giving to God. And that can be a real problem for, for those who love God and truly are seeking him on a, at a greater level. I want to look over at Luke real quick. Something coming to mind. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And. 38. Yeah. 638. I don't know why I couldn't think of that right off the bat. But Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The King James says that will men put into your lap. So when God wants to bless you, he sends a person into your life because people are... His tools in this world to pass out his blessings. Amen. He's not going to mail you a check. You're not going to find a check in the mail from God. Although it is from God if you find one there. Even though he used a person to send it. Amen. (laughs) So. I want to encourage everyone to focus in on something that. Because I know everyone here is faithful in giving. And that's important. Because that's a spiritual law that's never going to change. As long as the, the world is here in existence. This law of sowing and reaping is going to be in place. And so that's how God gets things to his, to his children. And that's his system of providing for us. So we want to continue to give faithfully, but I want to encourage us all to learn and to focus on receiving more aggressively from God. Amen. You know, we don't want to be someone who, you know, I I have a a place out in the country and uh, about 90 acres of that I put in wheat every year. And if I planted that wheat... And then just left it there, all that seed in the ground and just came back the next year when it was time to plant again, it would be foolish. 
No, as a as any farmer knows, you you sow that seed and you know the law of sowing and reaping. You're going to get more than you sow, the same thing that you sow later than you sow. So you start getting excited about that crop and you start checking on it and tending to it and you get your hopes up because you know that God is faithful and that the power contained in that seed has been released and you're going to reap a harvest in just a little while. And that's how we need to be as far as everything that we sow in this life. We don't, if we give, if we give a dollar to a person, the world, someone from the world will go back and they will always look at that person as someone who owes them a dollar. They're indebted to them now. And then when they don't do the right thing in their eyes regarding them, they think of, oh, look what I did for you and you have done this to me or haven't done or reciprocated in kind. That's not how the Christian should look at, at things. When we give, we give out of, a, out of love and we don't expect anything in return from that person. God may use that person to bless us again, but he, he can make it come from anywhere he wants. All that matters is we sowed a dollar and when we turned loose of what we had, we, we sowed it into our future. If we hang on to everything that we have, we put it in a pile and we guard that, that's all it's ever going to be. But when we sow it into the kingdom of God, we sow it into our future. And we know that there's going to be a harvest and we don't have to worry about where it's coming from. It's coming from God and he can use anybody he wants. So that's why I use that example because sometimes, well, almost all the time, people do things for people and then there's strings attached or they get angry with this person because, well, I did all this for this person and here's how they treat. Well, it doesn't feel good when people do that to you, I know. But really, that's not the Christian way to look at it because now... Your, your happiness and, and other emotional things are tied to that person. And you shouldn't let them affect you like that. When you give, give unto God and don't worry about it. If, it. if they do right by you in the future, great. Great for them and great for you. If they don't, don't worry about it. Because God still saw that seed that you sowed. If you give to someone expecting something in return... That wasn't an act of love. You were just doing business. Look back a page in Luke chapter 5. And then we're almost done here. Verses 4 and 5. Well, I'm just going to read this real quick and then we'll, we'll end here. I'm going to read this portion uh, from the beginning of Luke chapter 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, talking about Jesus, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Peter. He asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. 
And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. So they had been fishing all night. They didn't catch anything. They were done. They were tired. They're cleaning their nets already. And first of all, he imposed upon them to use one of the boats to get away from the crowd who's pressing in all around him. So he put a little distance between them and him and got out there where he could still preach and, and not be crowded so much. But after he was done, he wanted to bless Peter. You see that? You're never going to outgive God. And so... He, he had in mind that, that he was ready to bless Peter. And so he told him, hey, come on, let's, let's go out and put out your nets. And Peter was like, in his mind, it was half-hearted what he was doing. In other words, he was, he was just kind of going along with the Lord. Um, but he wasn't believing that anything good was going to come of it. You know what I mean? He's the fisherman. He's the professional. He'd been fishing all night long and there was nothing biting. He didn't catch anything with, in his nets. Not biting, but in his nets. And, and he just was aware that there wasn't any fish around. Well, he didn't know who he was dealing with, did he? He said, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, just because you want me to, I'll let down the nets. But look, watch, he didn't do that. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish... And their nets were breaking. <clears throat> they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. The problem is with most of our versions of the Bible, their translations, doesn't read like the King James did. It says that Peter let down the net, not plural, only one. And because of that, when Jesus told him to let down the nets, every every fish in that lake started swimming that that direction. You know it. <laughs> and had Peter let down the nets, he would have caught a lot more. He let down the minimum requirement, thinking that he was just going along with this guy. He didn't realize that at the Lord's command, every fish in that ocean wanted to jump in that net. And be the sacrifice that the Lord called for. But they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both those boats. So that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Boy, that's just another example of the Lord's goodness. How the goodness of the Lord brings repentance. He realized this is not normal. This is this is supernatural. And look at the goodness that this godly man, he still didn't know he was God, but he knew he was dealing with God in some way. You see what I mean? This is a supernatural thing that's happening to me. And go away from me. I'm a sinful man. He was he was naked before the Lord, spiritually speaking, and he was very aware 
of his identity and his need for God and his lack of of having lived the the life that the legal uh, the law required during the fifteen hundred year period from the mount from Mount Sinai until the law was fulfilled by Jesus. But he said, "That's okay. Follow me, and you'll be fishers of men." But we want to make sure that we learn from Peter's mistake and don't half-heartedly go along with what the Lord has said and thinking that nothing is going to come from it. We need to get our hopes up. We need to believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's no respecter of persons. He did it for one. He'll do it for us. And, and whatever He puts into our hearts, we need to go at it wholeheartedly, let down all the nets, and just remember, you know, in Second Kings uh, chapter 4, the, the widow... She could have, she could have gotten a lot more oil from the Lord if she would have brought more vessels. She ran out of ran out of jars, didn't she? <laughs> so we don't ever want to sell the Lord short, so that He's not able to give to us the blessing that He's provided. If they'd had bigger ships and bigger nets, I'm convinced that there's nothing they could have provided that would have been filled. So we don't need to underestimate the Lord and uh, and. Um, because if, if we're believing small, then we're believing based on what we can do in our own strength and our own resources. We need to get beyond that so that it's something we can extend our faith for and that we know that we're going to have to give the glory to God because we couldn't have possibly done it ourselves. That's how we need to believe in 2019. Amen? Amen. <laughs> we need to do what he says and expect big results. As I close today, I want to mention one thing. There's a, there's a passage of scripture that I've been meditating on in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 11. And I'm going to tell you what it says in the King James, because almost every other version, you can look at Young's literal translation, it'll give you proper but I want you, if you get a chance, go read Gill's, um, Gill's um, commentary on, on this because he gets it right and many don't. You can see if someone is spirit-filled, if they get revelation knowledge or if they don't based on some of the things that they, they discern out of these scriptures. But in the King James, this scripture says, Thus saith the Lord, and then it goes on to say, Ask me of things to come concerning my sons or my daughters and concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. And I, there are lots of different um, writings about this because there's different schools of thought on what the Lord is saying. Some say he's just being sarcastic that you would even think about uh, questioning him and others say, the opposite, but what I'm saying is that as a spirit-filled, born-again believer, you have lots and lots of things at your disposal regarding God that you need to become very aware of and begin to utilize. And praying in the Spirit is one of the things that puts you on the fast track 
regarding uh, these things of God. But as we close, I want you to be mindful of what we're going to be talking about. There are spiritual laws governing God's actions. And these laws are at our command. They're at your command. (laughs) That can be overwhelming to some, but you need to know that it's true. All of God's power has been placed in our born-again spirit. All of these things have been granted to us through the atonement of Jesus Christ. But it's kind of like, I'm looking for a light switch. There's a light switch over there that I turned on and there's one over there that I turned on when I came into the church this morning. But it's kind of like that. It's not a great example, but it's, it's, it'll kind of get the point across to you. If I came in here to the church this morning and I said, there's no light. And I called the power company. If they even answered, you can't get anyone to answer these days, especially maybe on Sunday. I don't know if they even care about Sunday. But, and I tell them, listen, there's no lights on in here. The heater's not on in here. And they say, well, let me look. And they say, well, there's, the power is on. There's nothing wrong. Have you checked your breaker box and all that? Yeah, everything's good. Well, the power is there. You have to go flip the switch. <laughs> no matter how much I complain or beg them or jump up and down or cry, they're not going to come out here and flip that switch on for me. That's my job. (laughs) And it's the same way with us. God, through the atonement 2,000 years ago, through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and enthronement, He has provided everything by grace that we will ever need for this life and the next. But we have to access it by faith. Faith is that hand that reaches out and obtains the things that are on our account by grace through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Nothing we can do to earn it. Nothing we can do to make the account be higher or or nothing we can do to take from the account. If you take something from it, it never will deplete God's account. But that's how we access it. And we need to learn about the spiritual laws that pertain to God's children because they're put there for our benefit, not not for our destruction. Just like gravity was put here by God for our benefit, wasn't it? Keep us from flying off into outer space. But if we step off of a tall building, it can cause destruction. We have to learn to cooperate with God's laws. That's a natural law. We need to learn to cooperate with his spiritual laws. In many ways, there's a lot of things that you do already that you may not even be aware of that are participating with God's spiritual laws. Other things you're not aware of or you don't do, either by ignorance or um, by rebellion. You know, just generally speaking, not speaking to anyone in particular. But I'm just saying that we're going to investigate these things and we're going to grow in them so that we 
will walk in power and victory in every area of our lives. Amen. We're not going to let the devil deceive us. We're going to be instructed and informed. You know, just like, you know, we all need finances and money to pay for the things, not just for our, our bills and the things that we need in this life, which God definitely wants us to have. Poverty is of the devil, not of God. But, and he wants us to bless to be a blessing. But making riches, the, the thing that we're after is a mistake. Because God says that wisdom is the main thing. So get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. So that's what we're going to be seeking. And we're going to talk about, we'll pick up right there on what that means. And God's instructions about understanding uh, and wisdom. Knowing Him and knowing the laws that He's put in place to be a blessing. And to get provision to us as His children. We just need to learn to act on the word of God in faith and watch all the lights come on for us this year. Amen. Amen. God loves us and he's excited for us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will not worry about the storms of this life, either external or internal, because we're going to learn how to combat all of those things. The word says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, we're going to learn how to combat, how to do spiritual warfare. And it's not by putting our focus on the devil. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love, your peace, your guidance, your instruction. Thank you for the laws that you've put in place to help us and to provide for us. Help us to learn to cooperate with you and to Walk with you in agreement. In Jesus' name, amen.